It's so good to have you all here. Interesting to hear some of the hum among you of, oh, I didn't know they went here, or there's so many new people. Sometimes it's good for us to come together, and just to let you know that in August, we're going to be doing something special, a couple things special. One is that we will be one service meeting at 10 o'clock again, and I'm getting a little bit of ring, Jeremy. Uh, uh, meeting together and so on during the month of August. And so you're going to want to make sure you slide to the center of the pews so that everybody has room to sit and so on because I think we're going to probably pack the place out from time to time. Another thing is that we'll be gathering, uh, is it 10 or 15 minutes early? 15 15 minutes early. uh, And we're going to give you a chance during the month of July to note some of your favorite songs that maybe we haven't sung in a long while or you feel like we've never sung it. Uh, and, but it's your favorite song, and you'll have an opportunity to put those down, and uh, then we will pick the, the most numerous requested ones out of that. And during the summer, for 15 minutes prior to the service, so you get here at 9.45, and we'll be praising God together as his body, singing some of these songs. So uh, a lot more music during the month of August uh, to look forward to as we praise our God. Finally, we are out of chapter 1 of Mark. Some of you wondered if we'd ever get there. And today do we come to one of my favorite stories. I can remember as a boy hearing this story a number of times. It seemed like a favorite text of my pastors as I was growing up. And I remember hearing the story so often that one time when I was a little boy, probably six, seven years old, I had to run up to our attic and I had to kind of take a look at how that might have happened. The pastor said they ripped open the roof and then all of a sudden this cot came down in front of Jesus. And so on. I was trying to picture as a little boy what that might have looked like. And maybe even this morning we will sit with some wonder and some awe as this text kind of reveals itself to us. Jesus has done five healings in chapter 1, and now a new element arises in the midst of this, and that is the element of controversy. Because you see, in chapter 1, people were amazed, they were astounded by Jesus. This is really something, it was incredible, and they wanted to invite their friends, which they did, and there were great crowds that gathered around Jesus. In chapter 2, some people, and this will crescendo throughout the rest of the book uh, as Uh, eventually they will yell, crucify him, crucify him. But right now, there are some that are critics in the audience observing what Jesus is doing. Um, And so some begin to find faults. They begin to find uh, misuses or mishandlings of the text, they think. And uh, they see some problems, some uncomfortability with Jesus' teaching. He's stepping on their toes and invading their turf. And they're not very pleased with this. Curiously, it's the religious establishment most bothered by Jesus. Let's pray and invite God into our conversation today. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts truly be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For Jesus' sake, amen. Jesus has just completed his preaching circuit around the region of Galilee because it says in chapter 1, verse 21, that he began in Capernaum and again enters Capernaum at the beginning of chapter 2. And the news is spreading. Jesus is back! Jesus is back! 
And you can imagine the crowds, and especially those that didn't get to see him the first time around, coming, crowding in this packed crowd. And it says in verse 2 that the people gathered. A pack-out crowd. I can't wait as we live out Jesus' example as we see what Jesus will do here at Faith Covenant Church, if we truly give ourselves to him and become this pack-out crowd, enthusiastic, exuberant, wanting to invite others to hear this good news that Jesus has to share with us. And it says that Jesus teaches them. The people of the day and the people of today, pretty much secular in many ways, we've been so overrun by our culture And much of the faith of that day was kind of a national religion, a formal, ritualized religion. Few that felt the active, living Holy Spirit in their walk with their God. And Jesus' message was different from the typical synagogue venue. Uh, It was alive. It had life to it. There was good news in it. It touched us where we were at, as it does today through his word. And I love how vivid the story is. I want you this morning just to kind of allow yourself the luxury of just kind of sitting back and imagining and experiencing the sights and the sounds and the smells, the feelings that would have been, what it would have been like to be there on this occasion of Jesus ministering to the people. You need to understand that the homes in that day were very small, probably about 12 by 12 approximately, and that would have probably been a fairly good-sized home. Usually one room, maybe a curtain pulled over a corner of it to have a little privacy screen at some point. Uh, One small door often would have to duck to get in, maybe a window or two, but not always. And uh, that was kind of the basic home of that day. But in spite of that, hospitality was the norm. Hospitality was the norm for these people. You know, I can remember when I was a boy, we had much smaller homes in that day. They say that the average home has increased by 1,000 square feet from uh, 50 years ago. And um, uh, so I'm about 50. And homes were much smaller. We had many fewer things and so on. But we did hospitality all the time. People were in and out of our house all the time. It was just kind of expected that that's what you did. And I assume that's part of what being a Christian was to be hospitable to one another, even the stranger. Today we have much bigger homes, we have many more things, but we're also much less hospitable. We don't use our homes much for hospitality other than for our immediate family, and even then we don't want the kids, once they're out of the nest, to return. (laughs) But you all could start to practice on me if you'd like. Just saying, just saying... And actually, for Kurt and Tammy, our new pastor and his wife, uh, it's a great way to get to know uh, the three of them, Lucas and Tammy and Kurt, and uh, so you might want to practice on them. And in verse 2, this little house is packed. It would probably be the equivalent of this tiny uh, mosh pit at a concert nowadays, where everybody's just kind of glommed together and passing bodies around, and we're going to get to that part of the story in a moment. And in verse 6, it tells us there are some guests in the crowd, some teachers of the law, some scribes, perhaps Pharisees. And typically, they would be given places of honor, sitting up front. And I can imagine them kind of being right there, practically in front of Jesus as they're uh, listening. 
And I want you to imagine uh, for a moment, Jesus is teaching in the stillness as they're trying to keep noise down so that everybody can hear what's going on. And suddenly, very soft at first, and then more and more apparent, now some dust and debris coming down, uh, rats on the roof or something, I don't know. But from the ceiling, these little shafts of sunlight begin to appear in this darkish room. And more racket, and the sound of the roof being ripped off, and glimpses of men's faces up there as they're pulling off the roof uh, uh, covering. And, and the crowd kind of murmuring, what's going on? I don't know. I don't know what this could be. And I want you to listen to the sounds of the voices coming from the roof. Imagine the picture as now they begin to lower that cot down. I imagine Peter for a moment. It was part, quite possibly his house where they were at, and they're ripping up his roof. <laughs> We've had an experience like that where our roof kind of leaks all over, and I can imagine it's a little disconcerting at times. Fortunately, we haven't started a greenhouse with a bunch of plants. One plant has seemed to take care of the majority of our leak problem at the moment. But in verse 4, they're digging through his roof. And then four heads peering, and then gone, and then something kind of blocks the, the hole in the roof. And then light begins to come through again as they realize it's a cot being lowered down. And then they see a man laying on this cot. And it occurred to me, how do you think the guy in the cot must have felt. Put yourself in his sandals for a moment. Here he was, paralyzed, perhaps for years. We don't know the story behind it. And probably spent much of his life embarrassed, spent much of his life needy of other people's help and assistance, putting people out, feeling conspicuous and different. Couldn't do life in a normal way like he observed other people around him. And feeling kind of the looks and the stares as being a little bit of an oddity of life. And the last thing he probably wanted was to be the very center of attention, which is what he was now as the cot settled down at the feet of Jesus. And here are the scribes and the Pharisees and the the teachers of the law kind of sitting on benches or or rocks, uh, whatever was handy uh, around there. He's dropped right in the center. But... His friends lowered him right in front, center stage, there for all to see, the center of attention, the spotlight. You know, there's so much in this story that we could kind of dig at, and I'm not going to deal much with the paralytic on the cart. I just told you a little bit about him, but he's almost a bystander in the story as you read the text. We know little about him from the text. And in verse 5, Jesus does affirm his friend's faith. And I'm not going to deal much with Jesus in his role here. He does make a very amazing claim to his ministry to date by saying in verse 5, your sins are forgiven. And that was a radical statement because, you know, not just anybody can forgive sins. And in that culture, this would have been a very radical statement that maybe some of the people didn't get, maybe you're not getting it, 
But Jesus was basically claiming to be equal to God. Making the claim to be equal to God because only God could forgive sin. And believe me, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they got it. They knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. And in verses 6 and 7 of our text, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Why are you thinking these things? They didn't even vocalize them, but Jesus knew. And Jesus said, why? And in verse 12 of our text, he got up, he took his mat, he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. This morning, I want to take a closer look at the paralyzed man's friends. We assume four because there's four corners to the cot. We don't know how many men were up there, how many men were involved in this, how many men were included along the way to help get this person to an encounter with Jesus. He must have been blessed to have friends like that. Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends in your life like that? that care that much about you, to step into the gap and to be there for you. Small groups at their best are this kind of friendship that would go to any length to help a person see the way to Jesus, to experience the living God and his son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. What do we know about these friends? Well, first of all, we know that they were people of great faith. Jesus said that. He saw their faith. He says in verse 5, Jesus looked at them and then turns to the paralytic and says, your sins are forgiven. You see, the friends were so convinced in their faith in Jesus Christ that nothing, absolutely nothing, was going to get in their way of seeing Jesus, of helping their friend to get to Jesus. And recall the setting. It's crowded. It's packed out. Probably people looking in any windows that there might have been or leaning around the doorway or getting people to kind of pass them out. What's he saying now? What's he doing now? And we assume there was at least four of them in order to have completed this task. Have you ever tried to push your way through a crowd to kind of get up to the front to be able to see something? Maybe as a little kid you kind of did it at a parade because you wanted to see the clowns. I've seen some of you at church potlucks, so I know that... <clears throat> But here they are. They've got this awkward cot bed type thing, maybe a glorified mat. And there's someone on the bed. How tough would that be to get him through the crowd and in front of Jesus Christ? But they weren't going to be stopped. Hey, come on, bring that cot over here. Let's climb up onto the roof. A lot of times there would have been an exterior kind of rock ladder that might have gone up onto the rooftop of the home. Or sometimes it was a wooden ladder that was leaned against the building. So imagine him, the paralyzed man, paralyzed, hanging on for dear life, praying that he won't get flipped off that mat. But nothing would thwart their concern for their friend, and I'm blessed by these men. Lots of helping hands. 
Oh, it even existed in that day. How about that? You can be a part of lots of helping hands too and be that kind of friend to other people and get them to Jesus. But it couldn't have been accomplished by one, probably not by two. They all had to carry their share of the load. The sermon title for this morning. We all have to carry our share of the load. Our Faith Covenant Church leadership are committed. You as a congregation have committed yourselves, affirming our commitment to do whatever we can do to overcome the obstacles, to reach out to those that need Jesus, that need Jesus Christ's healing touch in their lives. Maybe someone on our Ask the Lord of the Harvest, one of these forms we filled out and turned in, maybe it's somebody on that list that needs your friendship, for you to carry their cot, to be a part of a team of people that would help them in their lives to hear the message and respond to the message of Jesus Christ. Which means we must all carry our share of the load, every one of us. No one is off the hook. No one person, not your pastors, not your council, can do it on our own. It takes all of us together to dive in and to do it. Stewardship, you see, is a lifestyle. And stewardship is not just about money. That's only one expression. It's about the giving of ourselves. Romans 12, 1 is a living sacrifice on the altar of God. For some of you, $10 is an extreme sacrifice. For others, $10,000 is pocket change. Would that we had those pockets, huh? For some of you, one hour is a huge sacrifice. For others of you, 10 hours That's just pocket change. Each must carry their load. I can remember a few years ago, we were taking our... I don't even know how to turn this mic off. We were uh, taking up uh, our offering for Covenant World Relief, and afterwards, a little girl came through the line and uh, told me to hold out my hand, and she put 23 cents, two dimes and three pennies, in my hand. And she says, this is all I have, but will you see that this helps somebody get food? And I imagine in that moment of time that that 23 cents fed far more souls than my $350 that I gave to Covenant World Relief that time. We're celebrating 137 years of ministry faithfully in this community. We opened our doors in 1877 to be dispensers, to be lighthouses of God's love. And it's a legacy of sacrifice. So I want you to ask, and do a little bit of Christian aerobics here, I want to ask you to stand uh, as I read some different statements here if it applies to you. So how many were here before we built on this property? We were still at the other location. Uh, Over there, I guess. Uh, How many of you were here then? Before this uh, building on this property? Okay, good. Stay standing a moment. How many of you uh, came before this sanctuary was built, when we were meeting back in that room as our sanctuary? How many came during that time? Okay, how many that aren't already standing uh, came during Steve Starr's time as our pastor here at this church? Okay, a bunch of you. Okay, I want all of you to sit down for a minute. How many of you came during Pastor Mary's time? You can stand. Came during Pastor Mary's time, yeah. 
And how many of you came during Pastor Bill, what's his face, his name? Uh, <laughs> last two years that I've been here. How many have come since I've been here? Okay. Some new people. Great. You all, you, every single one of you, share a legacy that started 137 years ago through sacrifice and hard work and good news and love and loving the Lord our God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. You share in that legacy and need to continue that legacy for the little children we have meeting in the back rooms, for the children of our families, for the children of our neighborhood, for the 27 homeless uh, elementary school students from Daffodil Valley Elementary School, for the 260-something homeless people in the Sumner area. We need to be the legacy. We need to carry on the light of Jesus Christ with a cup of cold water to help those in need. What part will we bear as we bear the load together. For those who come while Pastor Kurt and Tammy and Lucas are our leader, our shepherd, our guide in the coming months and years of our church's legacy. How will we bear the load with Pastor Kurt as our pastor? I've been challenging you, and you can pick one of these up uh, if you don't already have one out on the information table there in the back, but to be looking as we're going through the Gospel of Mark about the characteristics of being a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then how will we express that character that God has given to us and revealed to us? How will we express that to the people around us? This morning we get to celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, And we may struggle over what is our fair share to do, but do you realize that God gave it all? Gave his only son to make all of this possible, that we might come back into relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ? Christ gave it all by giving his life for me and for each of you. What, as we come to this table today, what will we be willing to give so that our broken, our hurting, our disenfranchised, our lonely, our hopeless, our despairing people of our community and of our world will know about God's love? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that challenges us to live for you, to recognize what you gave for us. And as we come to your table shortly, Lord, open our hearts to receive your incredible gift. We pray this in your name. Amen.